Anybody feel peaceful today? I mean, come on. It's just so great being in the presence of God together. I love being with family. I love being at church. I love the new songs that God gives our guys. It's just a joy. Such a joy. Well, hey, speaking of family, this coming weekend, um, our extended family, Clarence and Alicia Hill, are going to be with us this coming Sunday and Sunday night. You got this little come together card. We're asking everybody to show up, uh, not only Sunday morning, but Sunday night. Clarence and Alicia have had a ministry for years pulling marriages together, pulling families together, pulling churches together, and have a beautiful ministry and impact really to our nation. So many times in the midst of our national upheaval, people are saying, where's a voice? Is there a clear voice in the midst of this that's godly and righteous and pure and clean? And I just want to commend our friends to you. And um, we get the privilege of being with them next weekend. So please sign up. Uh, Again, bring your life group, be be a part of it with us. Uh, If you were with us last week, uh, I uh, was sharing a story from uh, my son, Caleb. He had sent me this Instagram clip and uh, several months ago, and in the clip, this pastor, this was in Africa somewhere, and the pastor's up there, he's kind of rambling along, and a guy jumps up on the front row and says, I want Bible, I want Bible. And you kind of laugh, you're like, whoa, that's kind of shocking. Guy sits back down, guy keeps talking, rambling, he doesn't open his Bible yet. Guy jumps back up, I want Bible, I want Bible. <laughs> so, uh, we, uh, Caleb sent that to me. It's, it's a funny clip to watch. And, and then um, what we started doing in our family was if somebody kind of gets into their own opinion, we all insert, I want Bible, I want Bible. I don't want to hear your junk. I want Bible. So you have permission to do that in your family as long as you've already communicated that that was okay. But what I want you to do today is I want you to tell me, Jimmy, I want Bible. You ready? What do you want? Okay, you're going to get the Bible, open to Genesis 1, the whole Bible, I'm giving you the whole thing today, start in Genesis 1, familiar passage, verse 27, says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I'm slowing down on purpose, just take it in. Male and female, he created them, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Isn't that beautiful? There's a fixed point that brings clarity to all of life. God created the heavens and the earth. God created you, male or female. God created you because he wanted you and he blessed you. And it is good and it is right. And not just for you to be loved and blessed, but he also has a purpose and a plan for your life. Nobody is here by mistake. Everybody by the choosing of God. And that anchor point of his creating us is beautiful and incredible. Hey, I got my stick figure friends out again today. There it is, God and his children, Genesis chapters one and two, having a great time walking and talking with God unhindered in the love of God, in the grace of God. Because you see, when sin is not present, all is well. There's no jealousy, there's no envy, there's no strife, there's no arguing. You don't need any preaching or teaching because you're getting it straight from God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And then we come up to Genesis chapter 3. It begins this way, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. That many of you guys know, the serpent was the devil. We talked about this last week when we talked about unity. The word devil uh, in Greek is the word diablos, which means divider, accuser, and separator. So if God is pulling us together to himself and to one another out of his love and his grace, then the divider, the devil, is trying to pull us apart. And here it is, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field, the devil had made. And he said to the woman, the devil said to the woman, indeed has God said. And again, I can't repeat, I can't uh, emphasize enough the power of that phrase, has God said? And the answer is yes. 
God has said how to live life. God has said how to address the conflicts in our lives. God has told us what is right and wrong. The beauty is that God has spoken through his word, and it's clear, and it's true, and it's right, and it's a fixed point of peace for us. But Again, the enemy is challenging that. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. You guys know the story. Eventually, Eve and then Adam joins her, looks on the fruit and says, well, maybe maybe God didn't didn't uh, have it all together. Maybe he didn't really understand. They take of the fruit that was forbidden by God. They went their own way and uh, instead of God's way. They sin, and when sin comes into the world, the tumble begins. So what was a fixed point of love and grace and mercy now begins to unravel. Genesis 3, 7. Speaking of Adam and Eve, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that crazy? They hid themselves from the one who created them and loved them. From the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said, Adam, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of the garden and I was afraid and I was naked, so I hid myself. So here is the clarity point, you guys. If God has called us to union with himself, communion with one another, and unity among us so that we might joyfully fulfill his purpose, then who has divided us? The devil has divided us through our flesh by choosing our own way instead of God's way. And what is the fruit of that division? Insecurity, fear, anxiety, uh, the lack of the presence of God. We grieve the heart of God. And you'll, if you keep reading on, the accusation of one another. Accusation is of the devil, not from God. God is pulling people together. The devil is pulling people apart. And it leads people, leads all of us incredibly insecure, incredibly fearful, and inc- incredibly wandering in some ways in the wilderness until we find our home in God. Let's go back to our stick figure friends again. There they are. Sin separates us from God and from each other. Now, just theologically, I want us to look at the God picture there. And that is God grieving. Now, God in himself is joyful. He's full of grace. He comes towards you. He's pursuing. He's caring. But the scripture says that God is grieved by our sin because it, it is preventing us from knowing his love and his grace. It's like a prodigal father whose son or daughter is far away. They grieve. They still love them. They want to pursue them. They want to embrace them and hug them. But their parent is in grief because the kid has chosen their own way and they're longing for them to come home. This is the father's heart. And you look, Adam and Eve, you see them pointing fingers? They were holding hands. All was good. But now that sin is, is come into the world. They don't see each other rightly. They don't see the best in one another. They see the worst in one another. And now they're accusing each other for their problems. So to simplify it, what is the essence of division? What is the, purpose, what is the, uh, the problem of division? It is sin. <laughs> sin is what has us divided. You know, we often pontificate, oh, what's going on with the world? We just need to be more unified. We just need to do this and all that. And everybody has an idea. But listen, until we deal with sin, you won't have pure unity. And if you don't have pure unity, it'll never last without grace, right? Okay, on to my stick figures. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus came to model for us who the Father is, to show us what love is, to show us what it means to be cared for, show that the purpose of God was to destroy the works of the evil one, to get rid of the demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper. Everything about Jesus was to break the dividing wall and to bring you close. And to deal with the stuff that was hurting you, to dismantle the deceiver, the liar, the devil's work, and to produce a way forward of grace and help. Here's what it says about Jesus at the cross, a repeat of scriptures we've been sharing the last few weeks. 
1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once and for all. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that amazing? God wants to bring you to himself, so he came uh, and initiated himself to get rid of your sin because you couldn't get rid of it so that he could have you for himself. This is all glory to him. He alone is worthy. He alone is incredible. I'm stirred again. I hope you're stirred every time we tell the story. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners or while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. You're never too far away. You're never too far gone. It's never too late because the pursuing God has already made provision for whatever your deal is that's separating you from God. Now, put my stick figure friends back up there. There they are. Adam and Eve and all of us who are descendants of them are sad and literally in bondage in our sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And literally that means it's all of us have sinned and missed the original design that God had for us. God has a beautiful relationship full of grace and truth, a beautiful purpose and plan. We've been blinded not just from uh, sin, we've been blinded from God's purpose for our lives. And so that leaves us even in our best state, even though sin has pleasure for a moment, even if we think we really got the world by the tail, it's momentary because we will end up imprisoned in our inner man, let alone in our external activities until we find Jesus. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus came, and not only to forgive us of our sins and to create a, a home in eternity, but to come into our lives in a way that he would inhabit us. And when we walk in the Holy Spirit, we would live in our original design and purpose for our lives, and we would be happy <laughs> and full of grace and truth. So one last scripture in this initial part is Romans 10 8 through 11. Many of you are familiar with the passage, but I asked the guys to put it on full screen. I want to read it slowly, and I want you just to, again, remember your own salvation or engage with Jesus right now in what you need. Romans 10, 8 and 11. But what does it say? The Word is near you. Isn't that great? The Word is near you. In your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he or she confesses, resulting in salvation. And I love verse 11. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Woo! Another verse says, whoever hopes in him will not be disappointed. This hope that we have is the renewal of our salvation day by day. It brings joy. It brings clarity. It brings a way forward. It, believe, it brings attachment to God. We said last week, if unity and by nature, by definition, means to be attached to the source, to be attached to God and his plan, then disunity means to be detached from God and his plan. And we are on this journey together to be unified with him and with one another. Which brings me then to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, open your Bible or flip over there if you've already got your Bible open or your app. Ephesians 4, which we're going to be unpacking over the next couple of months. Ephesians 4, first three verses again. Therefore, in light of such a great salvation, in light of the grace of God, in light of the love of God, I, the prisoner, Paul speaking, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. In light of everything that Jesus has done, in light of the wall being taken down, in, wall, in light of the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, walk in a way that honors him. In all humility, now he tells you what these, some of these pieces are. In all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. That is not the worldly cultural tolerance. That is forbearing, 
enduring patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here's what Paul's doing. He's setting up, he's gonna do this whole discourse of the rest of the chapter on unity and what all that means, but here's what he's saying. Here's the soil that is needful for you to be one with me, one with one another, and one with your purpose in life. And it begins with, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. I am not my own, I've been bought with a price. I am surrendered fully to you, Lord. Yes, he, he's writing from prison many of his letters, but he is meaning deep, way deeper than that. I am not my own. Jesus has paid the price that I might be saved and loved and cared for. Therefore, I am yours, Lord. That is the most beautiful place to start the journey. And now I want to honor you, Lord, in response to what you've done for me. And then he lists out a few things that we're going to pick up here in just a moment. My question for all of us is, what is the soil of your heart right now? What is the soil like in, in, in your home right now? Does it have that humility and patience and grace and tolerance and surrender and all that good stuff that lets the fruit of the Spirit live and the strength of God be made manifest? Um, Many years ago, when we first planted the church, Laura and I built a house just a block from here. Jason, the Ramos family, lives there now. And uh, we lived there for 10 years, and it was a vacant lot. It had been abandoned for years, and uh, so we had the vacant lot, we built the house, and then it was time to put in the lawn. And we had four kids, everybody was home, they had friends, we wanted this to be a place where people come to. It had a pretty big backyard. And so we were going to lay some great grass, man. You know, just the visions of soft grass, barefoot kids running around, everybody having fun. So we hauled in a bunch of dirt, right? Because we need to relay the foundation, hauled in a bunch of dirt. And I noticed um, that there were these little specks of weed looking things in all the dirt, but I didn't think any different because, you know, you have people that are green thumbs, you have people that are brown or they call black thumbs, and you have people with no thumbs. That's Laura and I. We're no thumb people. Anything that is living can die uh, in the natural in our house um, so or uh, in our yard. So I did the best I could. They said, get dirt. So we've got dirt, and, uh, but there's these little flecks of, uh, in there. So we get some buddies, and we lay out all the dirt and everything else. Well, what I didn't know, it had these little thorny weeds in it that multiplied like rabbits. And so we seeded the lawn, and the green little Bermuda grass starts showing up, but then all these little thorny deals start showing up. And they're just amazingly out of control. And you step in the yard and ow, oh, ah, ah. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, what happened? And so you can ask my kids for about a year, they had a chore 15 minutes a day. Everybody went out and picked weeds. I mean, we would have weed piles like this big uh, from trying to get rid of the, the thorns. And I just want to say, I apologize to you, Jason, even today. Uh, as most of their childhood was wearing shoes in the backyard uh, because it was almost impossible to get rid of these guys. Um, so that was one uh, part of our yard. Uh, the other was we did a little bit of landscaping, but eventually those things died. And um, as a friend said, there's this thing called water. And uh, so we tried. But anyway, so after this one area in the front yard, there was a raised bed. And um, I just got determined after everything had died, I thought, you know what? We are going to have something that lives. And I said, it, it's the soil. It's the soil's fault, right? It's always somebody else's fault. So it's the soil's fault. And this one was true. So uh, I said, all right, we're going to take this bed and I'm going to go buy the richest soil at Home Depot. I mean, the stuff that you look at it and stuff grows. I mean, you just can't, can't miss how many nutrients are in this bag of stuff. And so I got like the best of the best and I got a bunch of bags and I filled up this 10 by 10 bed and I said, what do you want? Let's stick in tomato plants and squash and flowers. This stuff's going to grow. I personally would go out there with my own hose, water it down, you know, all that. And um, uh, everything grew. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all, give me a hand. It, we, we did it. We got some victory. Things grew. And as long as I kept that soil tilled up cyclically and added some new nutrients to it, man, everything grew. And I was like, hallelujah, it finally worked. We did it. <laughs> we finally got a, the right soil in the mix so that things could grow. 
So many times we are discouraged in our lives or we're wondering why things don't flourish around us, but we're not doing the work of putting in the soil of the Spirit and, and uh, instead we're putting in the soil of the flesh and expecting a different outcome. So here we go. So what is some of that soil? Again, Paul admonishes us in this way. I want you to take the humility and the patience and the forbearance and the surrender, and I want you to be diligent then in this soil. I want you to be diligent to contend for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I want you to be of the right spirit because not only do you need these activities of surrender and humility and all that we're going to talk about in a moment, but I need you to be of a good spirit. I need That's the watering side of it. I need the water of your heart to be full of the spirit of God. I need you to be of a right spirit. We talked a little bit about this last week, but my question is, is how do people experience you? What spirit are you of? When you guys start talking about a particular thing, let's just say it's a societal issue or sports team or whatever, are you that kind that gets all uppity and angry and starts getting animated and everything else? I don't know if that creates the right spirit in the room. Or if somebody says something negative about somebody, you pile on and you just go down that train. Or maybe when somebody mentions uh, another believer that, Uh, you uh, feel intimidated by, so you say something negative to tear them down. What spirit are you of? Because again, it, it seems to me, according to the scriptures, a generous spirit is one that is attractive to God and also draws others to him. What spirit are you of? Another story I've gotten permission to share this. I've shared it publicly two or three times. Uh, but um, my son Caleb, when he was a, a little boy, uh, he had this deal about eating with his mouth open and uh, chewing food with his mouth open and talking at the same time incessantly in close range. So he had, he had space issues, he had uh, etiquette issues, and, uh, and he also had buck teeth. So it wasn't a good combo. And um, so he, so at home, we would deal with it. We'd correct him or move him around. We were trying to work it through, but then he started going to school. And uh, somewhere uh, a couple months into school, he came home upset one day that the boys were rejecting him, didn't want to sit by him at lunch or spend time with him. And, and I thought, give me their parents' number. You know, this, the, there's no way they're going to reject my kid. Uh, I didn't do it. Didn't call any parents, by the way. I prayed about it. Laura and I prayed about it. And we came up with this thought, why don't you go to lunch and see what's really happening so that then I can call the parents on the other kids, right? So I go to his lunch and I sit down at lunch and he pops out his lunch and he's talking incessantly and he's in people's space and then he starts eating and they all start moving away. And I said, oh, maybe it's my son that's the problem. Maybe there's a reason that they're distancing themselves from him. And so we began to, to identify that and say, hey, you're, how you're carrying yourself is not helping people draw close to you. Why don't you close your mouth when you eat? Let's start there. We will get to the braces at the appropriate time. Um, but you're going to need to adjust kind of how you view life. And his deal was, as a young kid, what's the big deal? I'm hungry. I'm eating. Everybody's, nobody's bothered by it. We're like, oh, wrong, way wrong. You're not seeing it rightly. Now, hopefully I don't have to translate that illustration for you. We don't see ourselves rightly at times. And when we carry a wrong spirit, when we walk in the flesh and not in the spirit, we're spraying everybody. And then we're wondering why people pull away or people distance themselves instead of draw near. So let's get some answers. Unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. How do we bond in this right spirit of unity? Uh, I'll do a companion scripture to Ephesians 4, uh, 1 through 3. It'd be Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14. It says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Can I just pause there? Are you serious? Let me reread that. 
<laughs> forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, not even just like a beat, like a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So again, last week we put a chart up, and we're going to spend the rest of our time going through this. We put that chart up. Hey, take a picture of this if you'd like it. Think it's a good family uh, item. If you're single, your roommate's household, looking through this little deal, here are these issues listed in Colossians, listed in Ephesians. These are the right soil. These are the right activities that are attractive to God and other people and cause unity versus the wrong, uh, the, the, the opposites of those that repel people and hurt the unity of the body. So here we go. Number one, humility. It says, um, show humility towards uh, one another. Here's a great scripture, James 4, 6 through 8. But God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anybody need grace? Raise your hand if you need grace. Okay. Uh, we, that was all of us. All right. So how are we going to get grace? We're going we're to take it down a notch from our arrogance as if we know it all, and we're going to come in low first to God, and then to other people so that we can not only receive grace, but give grace. And when grace is at the table, all things are possible. But when arrogance and pride are at the table, it tears people apart. This is, this is humility. Philippians 2 picks this up. Speaking of humility, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? You know, a lot of times people say, I don't know how to witness or I don't know how to be a witness in people's lives. And um, um, obviously, I always say, look, if you're actually interested in somebody other than yourself, people will be shocked and a door will be opened for grace. <laughs> so I travel a lot, and uh, I always pray, God, give me a divine appointment where I sit. You know, give me the words to say if somebody in need. And so I just talk to people. And what is an amazing thing, and it's increasing as the years go on, is literally I can be with somebody three hours, ask them every question under the sun, care for them and be interested. They'll never ask me a question. Like, at all. And I'm an easy setup. If they'll ask me what I do, then I can preach the gospel unending, right? But they, they don't ask questions because they're absorbed in themselves, right? Many times I get opportunities every day to bless people just by being interested in them instead of being obsessed with me, right? And I'm obsessed with me plenty of times, by the way. Just want you to know that. But humility is going low and going slow and coming in to serve instead of to be served. In every setting that you do that, grace will start showing up. Try it at work tomorrow. Hi, John, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? What, what happened to you? Uh, you know, they, they may just be shocked. So try it and see if the grace of God won't appear. Let's keep going on. Gentleness instead of harshness. Biblical definition of gentleness, it's a fruit of the Spirit, is just enough pressure to get the job done. God is gentle with me. He is, he does, there's just enough pressure to get the job down, done. But sometimes it takes more to get the job done than we planned. <laughs> so it is still gentle when you speak the truth in love, when you put a boundary on someone who's hurting somebody. I'm not in any way backing off of that, but I want to come in with a spirit of gentleness and tenderness, especially for those who are needing to be restored and see the grace of God. Galatians 6 says this, brethren, brothers and sisters, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. What's beautiful about each of these gifts of the Spirit, these grace gifts that you give, the Scripture says if you'll give it, you'll get it back. But if you 
choose harshness or judgment or pride, you'll be resisted. Several years ago, and I'm telling this story now because there's a huge victory. This particular story I'm going to tell you, the woman, the young lady that I'm going to talk about, she is married, has kids, is flourishing, is loving God. Everything's been totally restored. But when this young lady was in high school several years ago, some friends of mine were traveling. Someone else was taking care of their teenage kids. And I get a phone call at midnight. And they were desperate because they couldn't find their daughter. They knew that she had been hanging out with a guy that they were not fond of and because of where that guy was in his life. And they were concerned that she had gone with, with him and that, that she wasn't communicating with anyone. So I said, well, where does the guy live? And I'll go over there and see if I can find her. So midnight, now it's 1 a.m. I'm driving through Waco. And I'm saying, God, what do I do when I knock on this door? What I understood was this young man lived with his dad from a divorced family. uh, And I'd heard that his dad was an alcoholic. And so I'm about to walk into a pretty tense situation. So I said, Lord, what what do I do? And the Lord spoke to me, be gentle. Be gentle. Walk in with gentleness towards, of course, the young lady, but also just walk in with gentleness. So I knock on the door and this gruff guy says, come in, who is it? So I open the door, guy's sitting there in his lazy boy chair, he's drunk, obviously. Who the blank are you? And so on and so forth. Well, uh, my name's Jimmy, my friends had called, that thought that their daughter might be here with your son. They're over there, but what's that to you? And I said, well, I'd like to see him. He said, you're not gonna see him. And so we kind of are going back and forth. But God told me to be gentle. I said, hey, thank you very much. I understand your concern, but I'm, I'm here to get her. Thank you. And so I go over there. I knock on the door and uh, I open the door. Hi, guys. What are y'all doing? They were both there. And um, spare you the details. But then I said, hey, you're coming with me. And uh, um, your parents sent me and, and we love you and we care for you. And, and this isn't where you need to be right now. The young man, I said, hey, just want you to know this is not okay, and I'll, I'll follow up with you, but, but I'm going to be taking her with me. And somewhere in the gentle thing, um, she didn't resist. And the guy was cussing from the other room, but I felt like the Lord said, just ignore him. So I just got her, got her things together, and just gently walked her out and said, hey, God bless you guys. I'll see you later. We got in the car, and she and I had a nice chat. We were able to get her to bed and settle down, and then uh, the restoration process began in her life. Now, I want to make sure that you hear, if somebody was in danger, I would have come in stronger than that. I'm not saying that that's always the right response. But what I, what I found in that moment, God's wisdom was greater than my understanding because this young lady needed the gentleness of God to lead her to repentance, not the harshness of God. Right? Let's be gentle first and then let God determine how much force is needed versus being forceful and regretting that we weren't gentle. It says in Psalm 18, the gentleness of God has made me great. Thank you, Lord. Patience versus impatience. Another great Bible verse. Everybody say, I want Bible. Good, good. Well, you're going to get it. Here you go. James 1, 19, 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Oh, bummer. (laughs) It's just, it's my go-to. Lord, (laughs) the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I want to pause here and say, I am working on all these things. It's embarrassing. I've known Jesus for 40 years. I still walk in the flesh. Of course, those who know me, it's obvious, but I just wanted to make sure you know I am preaching to me and we and us. We just want to know what God's way is, and we want to be able to have these fixed points so that we can keep submitting and adapting. And the more we do it, the more grace we're going to experience. So patience versus um, impatient is a big deal. So here's my kind of rule of thumb. Uh, A friend of mine, Steve Backer, wrote a book, You're Crazy If You Don't Talk to Yourself. 
Isn't that a great title? And not just like mumbo jumbo, like the word of God. What does God's word say? What's God have to say about it? So here's my deal on the patience deal. When I feel that very familiar impatient thing rising, very familiar, (laughs) I always say, pause, Jimmy, pause. Shut your mouth and pause. When I'm on my A game, that's what I say. (laughs) Pause, shut your mouth, pause, pause, pause. Hmm, thank you for sharing that. Could, I, could you share more with me? You know, just ask a question. Just work it out till you can get submitted enough so you don't lash out in frustration and, and impatience. And here's the other funny thing we do. We say, you know what? I just get frustrated a lot, and, and that's just me. Um, that's called sin, by the way. So when, when your flesh is disturbed, in anger, and you like to call it frustration to take the edge off of it as if it doesn't matter. My frustration can hurt my kids as much as my anger, however I define it. So why don't I just call it sin and flesh and deal with it so that God's grace can be greater than that? I love y'all so much, and so does Jesus. All right, got a couple left. Acceptance, acceptance, versus judgment. I haven't gotten you yet. Here we go. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Isn't that awesome? So when you look at somebody, you need to see them as a son or daughter of the living God created in the image of God. That is our starting point. Uh, I, I love this phrase, you know, everybody wants to be judged by the intent of their heart, not their behavior, but we judge everybody by their behavior and not the intent of their heart. Everybody missed that one? Let's do that again. I want to be judged by the intent of my heart. I really did want to try to help. I just got a little frustrated. You know, I just got a little having a bad day. Don't you know my heart? <laughs> no, I know your behavior, and that <laughs> revealed your heart. But anyway, so, but we all want to do the opposite. We want to judge everyone so quickly by their external behaviors versus their heart. And here's, here's the deal. God sees people as valuable and treasures, whether they're in rebellion or whether they're at the top of their game, he sees them as valuable. So I want to come in in the Holy Spirit and see everybody as valuable. Start with a acceptance. Now, I may need to speak the truth in love. I may need to put a boundary on somebody that's hurting somebody. It's not that I have to accept their behavior, and it's not that I don't need to take appropriate actions to care for the people around me, but the spirit of me needs to be one of acceptance more than judgment. Because whatever you judge, you will become. Right? Um, Jesus actually said that. Uh, Matthew 7. (laughs) Don't judge lest you will be judged. For in the same measure you meet it out is the same measure you're going to get it back. That just... just, uh, Yeah, y'all pray for me daily. I need you to pray for me. So you get it, guys, gals, everybody, all right? Then again, you say, well, this is impossible. Everybody deals with all this stuff. Exactly, you're right. That's why we have Jesus. It is impossible, but when we walk in the Holy Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit and these graces that God gives us, they become not only obtainable, but they become the desired preference of our lives because we see grace instead of judgment and law and anger and angst and whatever. May the grace of God abound. May we pray for one another, love one another, care for one another, contend for one another, accept one another, be patient with one another, bear with one another so that the grace of God can abound because the answer to the world's needs is not more judgment, it is more grace brought by the people who carry the grace of God. And as we do that, God will make a way because he wants to lead by his spirit, not by the flesh of man. Oh, I said we, had, we got two more left. Honor versus jealousy. Man, all these are three-day sermons. Let's just read a scripture. I want Bible? All right, you're going to get it. Here we go. James 3. 
Wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic, talking about earthly wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Oh, I'm just a little jealous, it's normal. Oh, well, the Bible says that there's disorder in every evil thing about to happen out of your life. I, I would probably deal with that or at least submit it to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Whoa, I like that second list. Um, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Woo! It is understandable that we are insecure and we are fearful and we're concerned about us getting ours. This is the human condition. And so jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition come out of desire to make ourselves important or valuable. And in order to do that, we feel that we have to tear other people down and literally take people out. But that is not the way of God. And I'll just use this in the broad sense. In Waco, Texas, we will love, honor, pray for, and bless every church and believer that names the name of Jesus, that is born again by the Spirit of God, that believes in the authority of the Word of God. We will love, bless, honor, support. We will not compete. We will not be jealous. We will honor. We will bless. And if a brother or sister sins, we will go to that brother. We will speak the truth in love, help them through whatever it is, but we will be a place of honor in this house. We will be a place and a people of honor by the grace of God. And when you encourage and honor even those that you are most jealous of, something breaks in the spirit. And God makes sure that you get what you need. Lastly, forgiveness versus unforgiveness. Again, so many scriptures, it's the centrality of our faith. Without forgiveness, we can't see the Lord. Without forgiveness, I I, I, I can't not only be saved, but I can't get the help that I need. Forgiveness is the centrality of our faith. But I want to end with a story of forgiveness um, that comes from a dear friend of mine named Matt Freeman. Matt works in the ministry full-time, working with mobilization for missions around the world. But um, I just got back from two days of my 40-year pledge class reunion of a fraternity that I was a part of at Baylor. Man, those guys look old after 40 years. I don't know what happened to all of them. But anyway, 40 years. And it was just a delight. God's doing so many beautiful things in people's lives. We're able to rejoice together, pray together, cry together, and encourage each other. It's just a, a great time. But Matt was there. And for the first time, I heard the full story of his journey. Now, just to give you a little context, when Matt was, uh, uh, in, he's the youngest of four. His siblings had all left by the time he was in eighth grade. So, uh, his uh, dad began to drink and drink incessantly and eventually became an alcoholic. They were kind of a well-known, his dad was a well-known business person in town, but then it became known that his dad's the town drunk. Began to embarrass them and the family, began to be abusive and out of control at home. And Matt said, my bitterness just grew because how could dad do this to us? How could dad do this to mom? He said he was a Christian I can't believe this. So his joy was getting out of the house and coming to Baylor. And we knew Matt. We didn't know that story, but we knew Matt as a fun-loving guy, very gifted guy, life of the party, etc. But even in his time at Baylor, in the midst of that pain uh, of, of the situation in his home life, um, he began to drink himself and began to get into some stuff that was, was hurting him. And um, in the middle of that, uh, he, they do a family intervention. It's make or break. Mom's going to leave dad and dad responds and starts getting into a Christian 12-step program and really begins the journey out of his alcoholism. But as Matt would say, my bitterness remained. I couldn't get over all that he had done to devastate our lives. So when he graduated from college, eventually he ended up in North Florida, in the Panhandle area, Tallahassee area, as a sports reporter and was doing really well. He was with the ABC affiliate there, um, and he was being successful in what he was doing. But the drinking was out of control. The partying was out of control. And one night, December 19th, 1992, he's driving home from a staff Christmas party, um, and it's a little bit of a foggy night. 
and he's drunk. And he doesn't see that a man has passed out in the middle of the road. He hits the man, um, pulls over for a moment, looks back, and in his drunken state says, I've got to run. i gotta, I got to run. And so he left the scene of the accident. Eventually within, he said, 20, 30 minutes, the police showed up at his door. Somebody had gotten his license plate, had seen that he had fled the scene. So now here he is, 29 years old. He's sitting in a jail cell and just doesn't even know what to do with himself. And eventually they let him out on bail over a couple days period of time. But he has three charges. One is manslaughter. Uh, One is DUI. And the other is fleeing the scene of an accident where there's been a death. Things are not looking good. And so in the middle of that, he called a friend of ours who's a a lawyer, one of the guys that was a part of our group. And he calls our friend in Dallas and he said, what do I do? I don't know where else to turn. I don't don't know what to do. And, And our friend wisely said, hey, it's time to come home. Matt, you need to come home. And for him, that was Denton, Texas. That's where his parents were. His dad, again, was sober and was, was correcting a lot of the wrongs in his life. But he hadn't reconciled. And um, he said, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And my, our friend says, I'm flying you to Dallas. I'm picking you up. And I'm taking you home. So he flies to Dallas. He gets out. The friend re-talks him into it. We're going to your house. You're going home. It's time. And as they drive, uh, Matt describes it, as they drive around the corner to his neighborhood uh, late in the evening, he sees his dad standing in the front yard. Been waiting there who knows how many hours. His dad's standing there waiting for him. Matt gets out of the car, falls in his dad's arms. They weep together. And Matt said it was miraculous. In a moment, forgiveness happened. And The way he described it was awareness of my own sin. I'd done the very thing I hated. I was him. And somehow I understood the pain of his life and restoration happened. Well, eventually what would happen over the next few weeks is the manslaughter charge would be dropped miraculously. And the man had been passed out and it was a foggy night. He and Matt had not been speeding, though he was drunk. And somehow they miraculously took the manslaughter charge, but now he had to deal with the this other issue, and a part of it was him going before the family and apologizing in depth. So he goes to a hearing in front of the family. He describes everything that he did, the changes he'd made in his life, and pleaded for their forgiveness. And this family of the deceased nodded their forgiveness towards him. Well, fast forward a couple of years later, he's now in seminary because God so changed Matt's life, and he felt a call to full-time ministry, and he's in seminary, and he gets a letter, and the letter was from the deceased's granddaughter, a young lady, and in a letter, it said, Mr. Matt, I heard you're in the ministry now. I'm so proud of the changes you've made and what you're doing with your life, and I pray for you every day, and I wanted to contribute to your needs, and she sent a $10 bill. He said the most valuable $10 he'd ever gotten. And in the midst of that restoration, again, uh, God brings a young lady into his life, and he begins to date her towards marriage. Uh, They eventually come to their wedding day, and Matt, as uh, as, as, uh, she comes down the aisle, standing next to him as his best man is his father. And he said, who I said was the worst man in my life became the best man in my life because of forgiveness in the grace of God. Forgiveness. Forgiveness brings us home. I don't know where you are today in the tensions of life. We're all cyclically working it through. But God's calling us home, you guys. Home to Him, the grace that He has for us. Home to lean into one another and the family of God to pull pull people close. I know it's not possible for everything to be made right immediately, but let us be generous in our spirit because we know how much God has been generous with us. Let's stand together.
if our prayer teams can all come quickly to the front. Every time we gather, we want to pray for people. If we have people up on the landing, we have people down here. If you are sick in your body, if you are in fear and anxiety, if you have unforgiveness, bitterness, something you need to deal with, something you need help with, that's why we're the family of God. This is the no judgment zone, right? We just said that. It's a no judgment zone. It's just a zone of grace. And whatever you need this morning, just come down and get somebody to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus, if you're far from God, if you just need to come home, if you need to make something right, again, nobody's judging you if you come down for prayer. If you need it, we're here for you. Husbands and wives and friends and family, just come with whatever your needs are. And I just can't help but say this. If, if anybody is having suicidal thoughts, get help today. Open up. Let somebody know. Don't stay in your head. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God came that we have life and life abundantly. Let the Lord come into that space of pain and need right now. Again, don't let anyone or anything keep you from coming for prayer. I want to do one other prayer, uh, um, and that is anyone listening, either online or in the room, if you don't know Jesus, I want to take you to him right now. Everybody else, you're either coming for prayer, or could you just pray for the person on your right and your left? to experience the grace of God, the power of God, the forgiveness of God, the hope and help. Many times you put a hand on somebody's shoulder. If you're comfortable with that, just pray for the person on your right and your left. And for everyone else who needs Jesus, just look at me right here. I want to pray will you pray with me this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, just pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Tell him that you need him. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I give my life to you. I am yours. I am yours, Lord Jesus. Now the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God sees the desire of your heart and he's come to forgive you and to bring you home. Lord, I pray for every person calling on your name right now, free from the power of sin and death, free to experience your grace and mercy in the name of Jesus. Hey, we're gonna sing one last chorus. Let God seal his work in our hearts. If you are a parent and you've dropped your kids off, if one of you can make your way out, we've gone a little bit long, but we wanna let God seal his word as we sing together before we close.